Welcome to the 65th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today, there is no card to recap because there was no UFC event last night. And that's usually what we start off with. So today, we're going to mix it up a little bit. And we're going to do a little bit of matchmaking for some stars in the UFC. After that, we're going to talk about a couple of fights that have been announced over the last week. Then we're going to touch briefly on the Ultimate Fighter um, because I liked the last episode. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then we are going to end it by looking forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Alexander Volkov versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So that's everything we're doing today. And like I said, we are going to start right at the top by talking about some matchmaking for some of the biggest stars in the UFC. And this is the order that we are going to do this in. We are going to first talk about Conor McGregor. Then we're going to move to Nate Diaz. Then we're going to move to Dustin Poirier. Then we're going to talk about Hazmat Chimaev. We're going to talk about Aljamain Sterling. And last, John Jones. Um, you may be thinking, hey James, you left off a couple of names there. There are a couple of guys I expected to see that I didn't see. Well, um, they may be matched up with one of those guys. So, um... Don't forget about that. And actually, we're going to throw Jorge Masvidal in there. So, we're going to throw him right at the end of that. So, make that seven. Um, and like I said, we're starting at Conor McGregor. So, Conor is in an interesting position, and he can kind of be a difficult guy to matchmake for. Um, and the reason why we're going to talk about... Connor is because Connor is getting to that point where we're going to start talking about his next fight. If you look at the UFC schedule, um, it's coming time where we're going to need some pay-per-views for later this fall. Connor McGregor is going to fight uh, probably in the fall. Um, we're booked with pay-per-view main events through July, so it's about time for Connor McGregor. Now, the question with Connor McGregor and what makes him difficult is what is the path that Conor McGregor is going to take here? There are three paths. He can go contender at 155 and attempt to get back to that 155-pound belt. He can go contender at 170 and attempt to get to that 170-pound belt. And he can go the stars route where he just fights a big-name guy in a big-time pay-per-view. So... What direction is Conor going to go? I think it's between the first and third option. I don't think he takes on a contender at 170. Um, but, you know, that could happen. Ultimately, I think he either goes big name or contender at 155. And possibly um, he'd be willing to fight that person at 170. So, um, in those parameters, I think the first name off the list and probably the most likely to fight Conor McGregor is Michael Chandler. Just looking at uh, Michael Chandler and what he did in his last fight, he had a great showing against Tony Ferguson. He gets the high highlight reel knockout, and this makes sense for Conor because you're taking a guy who's coming off a lot of hype, right? Michael Chandler and his knockout of Tony Ferguson it went pretty viral. Um, Michael Chandler got some some press in some media outlets outside of your standard MMA media outlets. So this would make sense as Michael Chandler is starting to build his own um, 
stardom. I, I wouldn't say that he is a UFC star quite yet, but I would say he has an above average sized following in comparison to some other UFC fighters. You know, he's probably more well known than Justin Gaethje, who, you know, fought that same night for a title. So um, Michael Chandler has a big name, you know, nothing too crazy, but, you know, beneficial enough to where a win over Michael Chandler would look good for Conor McGregor. And if you're thinking about how does Conor match up with Michael Chandler, it's a pretty good matchup for Conor, um, especially if Chandler decides to stand up and strike with, uh, or excuse me, if Chandler decides he wants to stand up and strike with Conor, it'd be a long day for Chandler, I, I, I believe. Um, the one thing we saw from Poirier is that Conor still has some really good boxing and his hands are still there. And if Chandler decides, hey, I'm going to go out and give the fans a fun fight, he could get hit early with a couple of big shots and he may be put on skates early, but he, he'd land some strikes of his own, I'm sure. And that'd be a competitive bout. But ultimately for Connor, I think he looks at Michael Chandler as someone that he could get out of there uh, relatively early. Um, so I think that is something to consider for Connor and probably the most likely name. And not to mention, if Connor goes out there and beats Michael Chandler and does so convincingly, he would be in a good spot to get a title shot at 155 pounds. Now, that would probably be assuming that Islam Makhlchev goes out there and fights Charles Oliveira sometime later this year, and then the winner of that would be left, and you'd have a good leg to stand on if you're Connor um, fighting for a title. Obviously, coming off a win over Michael Chandler, you'd be one of the best lightweights on the planet, and you can easily make that argument. He would be, once again, he would be ranked in the top five. Um, Chandler's currently sitting at five. However, looking at how that division is currently played out, um, there is no champion. So in reality, he is in what would be the four spot in a division with the champion. So um, another th thing to keep in mind is that Connor, or excuse me, that Connor would likely be favored over some of these guys like Dustin Poirier, who Dustin Poirier beat Connor twice. That's true, but Dustin Poirier does not have any you know, wins since his loss to Charles Oliveira. And same with Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, you can make the case he's a better fighter than Conor McGregor, but he would not have any wins since his title loss. So it's tough to give them that rematch. Um, with that being said, if Poirier and Gaethje go out there and fight each other and, and get a win, now we're having a little bit of a different discussion, but it really all depends on how that lightweight division plays out. But at a minimum, a win over Michael Chandler would put Conor McGregor in the heat of title talks. And in terms of other directions Conor would go, because Conor has a lot more than one option, and I think that is pretty clear. Um, some of the other directions that I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Conor go. Um, the first one would be Justin Gaethje. Similar thought process where, um, you know, Justin Gaethje is someone who can get you really close to a title shot if you beat him. And, you know, if Justin Gaethje goes out there and strikes with Connor, Connor may think, oh, Justin Gaethje's not going to be able to hit me. I'm going to stay out of range and I'm going to land some strikes and get him out early. That may be a similar thought process. I'm not sure that um, he would be as capable of doing that. I'd be interested to see how that fight plays out. 
But regardless, um, I think that may be something that entices Connor, and they have a little bit of beef, so that is also something to keep in mind. Now, from there, I think those are the two most likely names. But um, if Connor decides to go big fight territory, if he decides to go big fight, you're going to be looking at Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal. Um, at the end of the day, that Nate Diaz fight is probably going to happen. But um, with one fight left in, on Nate Diaz's current contract, he is not really, you know, if he doesn't fight, if this fight doesn't happen next, that fight may never happen. Um, for Jorge Masvidal, Jorge is, you know, one of the bigger stars in the sport, and he's kind of on a slide right now. So if you pair up Connor and Jorge, it makes a level of sense where someone's getting back in the win column. And then some sneaky sleepers. You've got Max Holloway, who Max may move to 155 if he loses to Volk, and maybe that's a fight that they pursue. Some other sleepers, Rafael Dos Anjos. If RDA can go out there and get a win against Faziv, there is a possibility that they try and rekindle that old rivalry. On the flip side of that, if Faziv is able to knock out Rafael Dos Anjos in emphatic fashion, um, maybe that would work. Faziv versus Connor, two incredible strikers. Um, that'd be an interesting matchup, and... I'm just not sure that that's the direction they'd go. But if you're trying to get Hafeyosafaziv some bump, maybe that happens. That's why that's a sleeper. I don't think it happens, but it may. Tony Ferguson will always be in the cards for Connor. I'm not sure that that fight happens that that fight happens next either. But that's also another name to keep an eye out for. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking with Connor McGregor. Now let's move on to Nate Diaz. Nate is in an interesting position here because he is pretty much begging the UFC to give him a fight in July, and he's been linked to a couple of names. Um, most notably is Hamzat Chimaev. The UFC really wants to book Chimaev versus Nate Diaz, I believe, just because if that happens, then you can say, well, it's okay. What it basically is, it's a, it's a punishment for Nate Diaz not re-signing his next contract with the UFC. You get the young young up-and-comer at 170, pair him up with the old guy on his way out, and the UFC would hope that Chimaev absolutely, absolutely dog-walks Nate Diaz, makes no one want, want to watch a Nate Diaz fight, and what it also does is it really raises the stock of your young fighter in Hamzat Chimaev. It makes sense for Chimaev, and it makes sense for the UFC. doesn't really make sense for Nate Diaz. Um, another name that Nate has been linked to is Dustin Poirier. I'm not sure what the holdup is with this fight. Poirier has said yes. Nate has said yes. Um, but we haven't seen the fight. So I'm not really sure the direction the UFC is going with that. Um, and then there was a while ago where Vicente Luque was a popular name. But after Luque's loss to Bilal Muhammad, I don't think that Nate Diaz or the UFC would be very interested in Bilal versus Luque. One sleeper name here is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I think that's an interesting, an interesting fight where I would love to see Wonderboy and Nate Diaz in there. I just think it would be interesting. There's something about it that makes sense. It feels right, in my opinion. You know, there's some matchups where you're like, oh, Nate Diaz would just get walked through if, if that got booked. 
But, you know, Wonder Boy may be able to stay on the outside and piece him up. But it, it, I think that fight would be more interesting and you can make a better case that Nate beats someone like Wonder Boy in comparison to Poirier, in comparison to Hamza Chumayev. Um, so I think that fight makes a level of sense. And it'd be interesting to see if he could go out there and get a win in that one. I, I'd really like that fight personally. And Wonderboy said he would be willing to fight um, Nate Diaz in July like he wants. So I think that makes a level of sense as well. I'm just not sure if that is the direction the UFC would want to go. I'm not sure that the UFC would want to, you know, book him against a talent like Wonderboy and, you know, have Nate walk off into the sunset after that. Um, if Nate re-signs with the UFC, I think that fight becomes much more likely. And, um, obviously that counter fight is there as well. What was the other one? I was thinking Nate versus, I don't know if I mentioned Poirier, but, oh, I did, Nate versus Poirier. Um, yeah, so those are the fights for Nate Diaz. If I were to pick who Nate Diaz fought, oh, Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson was the other one I was going to mention. Um, Tony and Nate both on a little bit of a slide, if you look at their most recent fights, neither of them have won in a considerable amount of time. And this is another fight where, hey, Nate's on a slide, Tony's on a slide, you're getting one of them back in the win column, and you can probably get some people um, interested in that one. If I had to pick what was next for Nate Diaz, I, I think that the UFC is going to book him versus Hamzat Chumayev if he doesn't re-sign. If he does resign, I think he gets Tony or Wonder Boy. Um, and if I had to pick, I would pick Wonder Boy um, versus Nate Diaz. And but um, I don't think that's going to happen. But that's what I would want to happen. Um, now moving forward, we're going to talk about Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier also in an interesting spot where hey, he's coming off a loss to Charles Oliveira, but he's still one of the best fighters in the in the sport. Um, for Dustin Poirier, I think there are two big names that we have to pursue. Actually, there's three. There's three options here for Dustin Poirier. The first option in my mind is Justin Gaethje. If you look at where Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier are currently at in their careers, they're in kind of similar positions just based off the fact that they both challenged for the title twice against the same guy. Both lost, but both highly respected in the sport. If you pair those uh, guys up in a five-round fight, you're looking at a fight of the year candidate and an all-time great fight. So I think that fight will always make sense, and that fight will always be there. And that's probably the fight that I would want to see next. Um, the other options for Poirier, like we previously mentioned, Nate Diaz, um, but the UFC seems reluctant to book that. Um, moving down... At lightweight, similar thought process, not exactly identical. Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. This fight, once again, makes sense because if you look at all the guys that each of these these two have fought, Poirier has gotten to wars with Gaethje, with Alvarez. Um, Chandler has been in wars with Alvarez and Gaethje and, and some some other names as well, but both of these guys have competed against some of the most talented fighters in that division and some of the most violent fighters in some of the best fights of all time. Um, Poirier versus Chandler is one of the few matchups that we have yet to see. 
Um, there are some other matchups like Tony hasn't fought all those guys. RDA hasn't fought all those all those guys. Um, I think Eddie has fought pretty much all of them. Um, Dan Hooker may work his way back into fighting guys like that, but he slid a little bit. His fight with Poirier was incredible. He, he didn't quite have that same performance against Chandler. But regardless, there's a list of five to seven guys at lightweight who just go out and get in wars. And Poirier and Chandler is the matchup that we haven't quite seen yet out of all of those guys. So I think that is also a matchup that um, is very likely. But at the end of the day, I think Chandler gets booked with Connor, and that leaves you with Poirier and Gaethje. Now, if Poirier decides that, hey, I need to move weight classes and go up to 170, I think that might be his best option. Just looking at 155, you already have two losses in title fights, two Charles and two Habib. I'm not convinced that Dustin is going to be able to beat Charles. And if Islam beats Charles and becomes the champion, I'm not sure that Dustin would be able to beat Islam. Not solely based off what we've seen Islam do up to this date, but taking into consideration if he were to beat Charles Oliveira, throw that name on his resume, um, I think that'd be a tall task for Dustin as well. So Dustin Poirier moving up to 170 makes a level of sense, and he can try his luck against someone like Kamara Usman. Um, which sounds weird, but I think he would have a better shot against Usman than some other fighters. Just based off, he may be able to kick the legs of Usman. He may be able to get Usman to strike with him. If he can get Usman to throw hands with him a little bit, he might be able to catch Kamaro. Um, and I think if you were to compare chins, um, Kamaro probably has not as good of a chin as someone like Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira can get hurt, but he recovers and we've seen Kamaro get hurt a couple times and, and wobble, but he's never been finished. And I think that if Poirier could get Usman to wobble a little bit, I think that um, he may have a chance to win that fight. And I think it's at least worth testing the waters. Um, now, if he wanted to move up to 170, I think you might as well go straight for Colby Covington, right? There's no reason to dip your toe halfway in and go up against someone like Wonderboy, where I'd love that fight, or I'd love a fight with Luke. Those are great fights. But those fights, you know, don't really legitimize your ability at 170 as much as a fight with Colby Covington does. If Dustin were to go out there and beat Colby Covington, he would be next in line to fight Kamaru Usman. I know they want to do Usman versus Leon Edwards. I think that fight happens next regardless. Um, but once that fight can concludes, Dustin Poirier would either fight Kamaru Usman or Leon Edwards. And that, you know, that would be an interesting path and probably be the quickest way he could get a title shot. So I think that will always be an option. And I think that Dustin Poirier versus Colby Covington also does well in terms of sales. Now, um, moving on, we are going to talk about Hazmat Chumayev is the next name on our list. Hazmat Chumayev is in an interesting spot because I almost believe that if Hamzat Chumayev sits on the sidelines, he might get a title shot, right? Um, if you look at the wins that someone can get at 170 pounds, Gilbert Burns is possibly the best or, you know, well, I wouldn't say he's the best, actually. In terms of adding names to your resume to get a fight for a title, 
Gilbert Burns is right up there with someone like Colby Covington. Colby Covington is probably the best win, where if you beat Colby, you're getting a title shot. Um, I think Gilbert Burns is one tier down from that. And I'm really surprised that he hasn't walked his way to a title shot after that win. And um, if they do Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman, and assuming, you know, Gilbert Burns doesn't get another win. Even if, Gil- even if Gilbert got another win, it probably wouldn't matter. But, you know, if, if Colby doesn't fight anyone, if Poirier sits, stays at 170 and nothing happens at 170 pounds, Hamza Chumayev could very realistically get a title shot um, after Leon Edwards gets his shot. So I think that is something to keep in mind. At the same time, you could get burned by not fighting. Right, you could have Poirier jump ahead of you in, in line if he wants to make that move. You could have someone like Gilbert Burns end up getting matched with Colby Covington, and, and that could really screw screw some things up. Um, you could maybe have Bilal Muhammad get booked with Colby Covington and potentially screw things up. Um, I don't think those fights are necessarily. I'm not saying those fights are going to happen, but it could screw some things with you. And for Hamza, I think he should probably angle for that fight with Nate Diaz because he's already got the win on his resume that would get him a title shot, and that's Gilbert Burns. Nate Diaz, on the other hand, would be a good bridge from where he's currently at to a title shot. And at the same time, that would also give him a big opportunity to grow his name in the combat sports world and in the media, which would um, make a fight with Kamaru Usman um, do well, do very well. Now, um, like I said, we are going to talk about Aljamain Sterling. And Aljamain Sterling is probably not a superstar, right? I'm not saying he's a superstar, but he does have bantamweight gold. So that makes his next fight very important. And at this point, it's looking like it's going to come down to TJ Dillashaw and Jose Aldo. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see some fight news sooner rather than later. But I think the UFC is going to go with TJ Dillashaw here. Um, However, Jose Aldo getting a shot against Aljamain Sterling is an interesting alternative. Because if you're in the UFC, if you are in the shoes of the UFC, booking this fight also has some repercussions, right? You need someone to fight Piotr Jan. And Piotr Jan has already fought Jose Aldo. You could give this title shot to Jose Aldo. And you get to build the storyline. a similar, Not the same, but a similar storyline to Glover Teixeira. Where, you know, Jose Aldo was down and out. You know, it's a different story. But he was down and out. He moved down in division. He's one of the best of all time. And he's making another run at a belt. And Jose Aldo becoming a champion again does really good things for the UFC, you could have several potential really strong matchups with Aldo. Now, um, if the UFC wanted that, they could easily market that fight. But what that fight does is it also leaves you the option to book Piotr Jan and TJ Dillashaw. And that is a tremendous fight in its own right. That would be an all-time great fight. That, you know, this bantamweight division has a similar thing to the lightweight division that we were just talking about. You have Piotr Jan, you have Jose Aldo, you have TJ Dillashaw, and you have Corey Sanhagen. And if you want to extend it, you have Marlon Vera and Rob Font. However you want to match those guys up, you're going to get some pretty great outcomes. And 
I think a TJ Dillashaw versus Piotr Jan matchup is a dream matchup for a lot of fans. So you could make that matchup at one and two. Winner gets a title shot, and while that's happening, you give a Aldo versus Sterling um, title, and um, I think it does well. I think that's a positive outcome to that scenario to that situation. But at the end of the day, if TJ Dillashaw gets matched up with Aljamain Sterling, I'd completely understand it. And you could also do Jose Aldo versus Corey Sandhagen. It looks like Sandhagen is going to fight Marab, but Jose Aldo versus Corey Sandhagen is a really fun fight too. So um, in that division, if I were to guess, um, I'd probably guess that the UFC is going to book Aljamain Sterling with TJ Dillashaw and... Um, with that being said, I would like to see Jose Aldo versus Sterling. I'd like to see Aldo get a crack at that belt. I think he has done some really good work and deserves it. And that also gives you the ability ability to book, book oh my god, it also gives you the ability to book Piotr Jan versus TJ Dillashaw in a number one contender's bout. Now, possibly the most interesting of all of these is John Jones. Now, let me preface this conversation about John Jones with one very big, you know, disclaimer. John Jones may never fight again. We don't know when John Jones is going to fight. There are so many questions about John Jones. So let's remember that when we're having this discussion. And really, this is less about matchmaking John Jones and more about me saying, hey, we need to see John Jones versus Steve Miocic and we need to see it now. That fight makes too much sense for Stipe and for John Jones. Um, with the current situation of the UFC, like, or excuse me, the UFC heavyweight belt, Francis Ngannou needs to resign, um, and Francis Ngannou needs to get healthy. Um, the UFC and Francis need to do their own work in terms of getting that contract situated, but the UFC needs to figure that out and get Francis on, on a long-term deal that will keep him in the UFC. Now, with that being said, you could easily do an interim belt because Francis is injured. And if you're looking at John and saying, well, what, what could we do for John Jones that makes sense? If I'm John Jones, I'm looking at Stipe Miocic and begging for that fight. And the reason behind that is you are moving up to heavyweight to fight potentially the greatest heavyweight of all time. Um, someone who has that resume built at heavyweight, someone who is very respected at heavyweight. But the other thing you're doing is you're fighting someone who isn't on the massive end of 265 pounds. Stipe Miocic just simply isn't as big as someone like Francis Ngannou. He isn't as physically big as you know someone like Tai Tuivasa, uh, and he's probably not as physically big as Cyril Gan. So you're able to test the waters at heavyweight against someone a little bit lighter. And if you are able to move move well and you're still the quicker guy in there and you're not giving up as much strength, you know, you 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 can feel confident moving forward at heavyweight. However, if John Jones decides, oh man, I would have liked to be I would have liked to be a little bit stronger in there, um, he can recognize that he needs to fix that. And he can go out there and get a little bit stronger before he fights someone like Francis. It's a nice test for him before he has to dive straight into the deep end at heavyweight. So 
I think that makes sense. And if you're Stipe and you are sitting there at heavyweight going, man, I'd love to get a rematch. I'd love to get that title back. But Francis just is not ready to go right now. And if you're Stipe, are you going to, you know, you don't really want to fight Cyril Gan or Tai Tuivasa in a number one contenders fight. And those guys are already booked anyways. But there's a lot of, a lot on the line if you lose. But beating John Jones, there's a lot on the line if you lose. But there is so much to gain. You are the first person to give John Jones a legitimate loss. You are beating one of the greatest fighters of all time. There is so much that you can add to your personal resume if that were to occur. And I just think that that fight makes too much sense for the UFC, for John Jones, and for Stipe. Um, ultimately, that fight needs to happen. That is the main reason I even said John Jones. It was lots of a matchmaking exercise and more of me calling for John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. And lastly, we threw Jorge Masvidal in here at the last second, and that's okay. Um, Jorge Masvidal is in an interesting position with his lawsuit with Colby Covington. I don't know very many details regarding that situation, but it may make it a little bit harder for Jorge Masvidal to get a fight. He may not want to accept a fight while that's going on. I don't really know. But what I do know is that Jorge Masvidal versus Steven Thompson and Vicente Luque both really intrigued me, and they're both guys ranked ahead of Jorge, and those are also both really strong opportunities for Jorge to prove, hey, I just lost to some really good fighters, right? I can still compete in the UFC. I'm still a, a great fighter. It gives him that opportunity. A lot of people are a lot lower on Jorge Masvidal today than they were before his two fights with Usman and his fight with Colby. Those fights did a lot for his stock. Um, getting back, you know, some oomph with a win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and a Ori win over Vicente Luque would both be very beneficial to him. And if he gets one of those wins, you know, that would be a good layover uh, until it's time for him to fight Leon Edwards. Because if Leon Edwards loses that title shot against Kamara Usman, I think Leon Edwards and... Jorge Masvidal is a fight that, you know, it's already been booked. They've got history. And that would be a good a good return to stardom for Jorge. There's that backstory. They can do all that. But I think first, a fight with Wonderboy or Luque and getting a win would really make that fight with Leon a lot more interesting, right? Because looking at it, if you were to match Leon and Masvidal together right now, you know, a lot of people would not really care as much because of the recent slide that Masvidal has been on. If he can get a win, um, people's opinions are going to change and people are going to be a lot more interested in that fight. So those are the two names that stick out to me for Jorge Masvidal. And you know what? Shout out to Steven Wonderboy Thompson because he has done a well. He has done well at linking his name to guys like Jorge Masvidal. And to guys like Nate Diaz, where he may just get one of those fights. So shout out to how he has positioned himself in that division. Now, we are going to talk briefly about Tough, right? Um, I've talked about the Ultimate Fighter in a couple of episodes, I believe, since it has re-aired for the 30th season. Here's what I'll say. Episode 4 was a great episode. Episode 4 was tremendous. I shouldn't say tremendous. Um, it's... 
probably the best episode or the second best episode that we've seen in season 29 or 30. And um, the other one that comes to mind would be episode three of this season. And so it's, to me, I think that shows the direction that the Ultimate Fighter is going. I have seen improvements from last season to this season, and I have seen a continuation of good episodes from episode one to episode four. I am back in on the Ultimate Fighter. I am back in. I just wanted to make that clear. With that being said, now that I said I'm back in on the Ultimate Fighter, episodes five, six, seven, and eight are probably all going to suck, but hey, um, we'll be here, and um, I'll let you know if they suck. Now, um, let's quickly roll through some fight bookings we have one great fight booking we have a couple of several interesting fight bookings but um let's get right into that um first we have not a fight booking but a promotion you heard that right um matush gamrat and armin sarukian they were booked to fight on june 25th they are now being moved up to the main event it will be five rounds i really like this this is an important fight in the landscape of the lightweight division. These two guys are two top prospects at lightweight, and the winner is going to see a bump into the top 10. It is very important for the path of both of their careers. I'm glad they're getting the opportunity to fight those last two rounds as it may be impactful. You know, it might be 2-1 going into that fourth round. It might be, you know, you don't know, but I think those last two rounds could play a big factor in that fight, so I'm glad both guys are getting the opportunity to go out there and show um, five rounds of skills. Now, the Ultimate Fighter Season 29 winner, um, well, one of them, Ricky Tercios, he has been booked to fight Ami Aiman Zahiba. Zah- I can't say his name, my apologies. If you don't know who that is based off my very poor pronunciation of his name, or maybe you just don't know who he is, um, he's the guy who looks very 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 similar to Ariel Hawani um but um he will be fighting on July those two will be fighting on July 6th um now on well something's I've got something wrong here um but because July 6th is not a Saturday I don't think um yeah, July 6th looks like it's a Thursday. Oh, that might be International Fight Week. I don't know. Um, that date might be wrong. It might be International Fight Week. But what we do have that is a very fun fight is Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez on July 16th. These two guys, winner probably gets a title shot. Um, if Yair wins, he definitely gets one. If Brian Ortega gets one, maybe we'll have to see how that plays out. But... Um, this is one that you immediately look at and go, okay, that's fight of the year potential. Five rounds, fight of the year potential, UFC fight night. Whew. Sounds like fun to me. That's all I'm going to say. Um, up and comer, Patty Pimblett has been booked to fight Jordan Levitt on July 23rd. Decent step up in competition. Levitt is very, is very good on the ground. So we are going to see how Patty is able to do in a fight where he may not want to take this to the ground. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Uh, but he's going to be forced to stand up and trade, I believe, with Jordan Levitt. And that is on UFC London. That should be an interesting fight. Um, Augusto Sakai versus Sergey Spivak is going to be booked for August 6th. Um, that fight just makes sense. 
both of those guys are in a similar position in the light heavyweight division. They're gonna they're getting booked. Uh, the winner moves up the rankings. Nothing too much to be said, um, but that's just good matchmaking. Now, Luke Rockhold and Paulo Costa is being moved to August 20th, allegedly. Um, but, you know, regardless, you know, we're, we've kind of gone back and forth on this one because I, I first thought that was going to take place on August 20th, and then I saw it was going to be July 30th, and now I see it back to August 20th. So I believe it's going to be August 20th. Um, I don't know any really, any reason to believe otherwise right now. And Caitlin Chikagian has been booked to fight Manon Fior. On September 3rd, if Fior wins, she gets a title shot. If Chikagian wins, who knows? It's Caitlin Chikagian, and you never know what the UFC is going to do for her. I thought she was in a good position to get a title shot after her last win, um, but, you know, she didn't. She was willing to fight another up-and-comer. I think this is going to be a close, interesting fight, and if Fior can win, I think that really proves and demonstrates where she is at in that division. Now, um, those are all the fight bookings that we had to discuss. So now we are going to move on to next week's fight card, which is UFC Fight Night, Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Alexander Volkov. Volkov versus Rosenstrike was a great um, piece of matchmaking where these two guys are in a similar position. They've been sliding a little bit at heavyweight, and the winner is going to be back into the upper portion of that division and is going to be fighting some strong competition. The loser, on the other hand, is you know going to be fighting some guys ranked 10 to 15 in some matchups that they probably don't want to have. Um, and I'm really interested in this fight because Jarzinho Rosenstrike has otherworldly power. He's one of the most powerful guys at heavyweight, but we haven't seen him land some of that power in a decent period of time, if my memory serves me correct. Um, and yeah, he's coming off a loss to Curtis Blades. Oh, he did knock out Augusto Sakai in the first round. Um, and then prior to that, Surreal Gan lost. Prior to that, Junior Dos Santos win. And then Francis and Ganu lost. And then, um, those are the only three losses in his MMA career. Everything prior to that was a lot of knockouts. And... I'm really interested to see if Jarzinho can get it back on track. Because at one point, it looked like he was championship caliber. And now he's sitting at three losses in his last five fights. Um, Alexander Volkov, on the other hand as well, has also been in a similar position where he has looked very good in some fights. If you look at his fight with Overeem, he looked great. His fight with Walt, with Walt Harris, he looked really good. Um... And then he, but he has all losses to Tom Espinal, Surreal Gan, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. He was looking good in that Derek Lewis fight before he lost in the final minutes or final seconds of the third round. And ultimately, um, one of these guys is going to have to turn the ship around. And they both have some skills that I really like. Ultimately, I'm leaning with Volkov just because I like how much he works to the body. Um, but... I also think Jarzinho Rosenstrike could go out there and knock him out. But right now, I'm leaning Alexander Volkov. In the co-main event, we are looking at Mozart Ivolev versus Dan Ige. Ivolev is one of the best wrestlers at 145 pounds. Dan Ige is one of the most exciting fighters at 145 pounds. I think this fight is going to be Dan Ige's whenever it's on the feet, and it's going to be Ivolev's when it's on the ground. 
It just comes to can Ivalev get the takedowns and wear on Dan Ige. And I think he will be able to do that um, usually when you're able to break a fight down by saying can fighter A get a takedown on fighter B. Usually the answer is yes. So I'm going to leave with lead lean towards Ivalev in that one. Mike Trezano versus Lucas Almeida. Not a terrible fight. Trezano is 9-2. Almeida is 13-1. These are both lightweights. And um, not anything crazy going on here. Um, Lucas Almeida is in the UFC despite a loss on the Contender Series. Mike Trezano is coming off a loss to Hakeem Dawadu. And then he, but he does have a win over Ludwig Klein, which is a good win, and a loss over Grant Dawson. So his losses to Dawson and Dawadu are not terrible losses. So um, I'd probably lean Trezano in that one. And now we're kind of just kind of skip around here and talk about some of the names that stick out. Um, Alonzo. Sorry, Alonzo Manafield is 11-3. and three. He is one of the more well-known guys in that light heavyweight division that isn't ranked. You know, I believe he's fought at middleweight. He has been, you know, he's someone who every time Alonzo Manafield fights, you're like, oh, I got I to gotta see that. You know, there's nothing against him. Um, but he just hasn't really beat um, well, he's got a win over Paul Craig and he's, you know, but his losses to William Knight, not great. And then he's got losses to some good fighters in Ovin St. Prue and Devin Clark. So he's been around at the light heavyweight division and he's fought some really talented guys and he's got a lot of wins. His 11 and three resume is not bad. And then on the other hand, you have Oscar Mozharov, who is coming off a win in bare knuckle boxing. And that was an eight-second knockout. Prior to that, he was on the regional scene where he got a 33-second knockout. Prior to that, he was on the regional scene where he got a 27-second uh, knockout. And then a first-round knockout prior to that. So, um, it seems as if this dude can fight. Um, I don't know much about him. He's only 27 and it seems like he's coming down from the heavyweight division. He's listed as a heavyweight on Tapology. I don't really know anything about this guy, to be honest. This is the first I've ever heard of him. But, um, okay. So, Tapology, let's figure it out because it says his weight class is heavyweight, but he last weighed in at 204 pounds. So, that makes no sense. Um, this is a fight I'm going to be interested in because I know Alonzo Menafield. And he's fighting someone who is knocking people out in the regional scene. So it should be interesting. And even though I don't know much about Askar Mozharov, what I do know is that the UFC wouldn't just throw someone in there with Alonzo Menafield if they weren't a quality fighter. So I'm kind of interested to see where that one goes. You have Felice Herrig versus Carolina Colin. I should be able to pronounce her name, but we're just going to call her Carolina. She has been one of the she was one of the best prospects at 115 pounds and she just didn't pan out and she's getting back into fighting again and good for her however she has lost five fights in a row 
Um, but she does have a win over Felice Herrig. Felice Herrig was her last win. And at one point in Carolina's career, she was, let's see, she was 9-0 with a win over Rose Namajunas. Since, she has lost to Ioana Jonjacic, Claudia Gedalia, got back on track with wins over jo- Jody Esquibel and Felice Herrig, and then proceeded to drop five straight to Andraj, Waterson, Grasso, Ian, and Jessica Penne. Here's what I will say. Um, those are a lot of great fighters that she lost to, and we'll see if she can get back in the win column. If she can, great. Uh, I'm interested to find out. Um, what else sticks out here? Daniel Argueta, who is 8-0, fought on the Ultimate Fighter, is making his UFC debut, so keep your eye out for him. Benoit Saint-Denis. Um, I'm not incredibly familiar with him, but if I remember correctly, he had a really good showing in his professional or in his UFC debut. No, he did not. He lost his professional debut. I'm completely off on that. Ode Osborne, I really like Ode Osborne. Um, he's fighting Zakar Adeshev. So Ode Osborne's always a fighter to watch. Um, Jeff Molina is fighting Zalas Zumagulov. Um, Jeff Molina, a very exciting fighter at flyweight. And I believe Zugulov is ranked. Let me double check. Um, Zagulov is not ranked. He was ranked at one point. Not ranked anymore. Um, good fight for Jeff Molina, and I'm, I'm always tuning in to his fights. And then um, just um, Andres Mikales is fighting Rihat Fahektorinov. Once again, probably butchered the last name. What's notable here is that Renat is 20 and 2 and coming in from UAE Warriors. So that may be a name to look out for in the future of the middleweight division. Only his first fight in the UFC. So I will keep an eye on him. Aaron Blanchfield is also fighting, who is a pretty good prospect in that women's flyweight division. Coming off, a, coming off a win over Miranda Maverick as well. So that may be another fight to keep your eye on. And if you can't tell, I don't do tape study until um, the Thursday or Friday or Wednesday before the event. So uh, sometimes it's a little tough for me here. But um, just kind of a, a just kind of a, a beginner's look at this card before we get anything too crazy. That's why we do the pay-per-view previews on Friday, so I can do it after I do some research. But, um, you know, just kind of a brief preview. Um, I like this card. It's nothing crazy, but it should be semi-interesting. Two really important fights in the main event, co-main event. Some other names that um, you may want to look out for, um, and if they have good showings, you may want to keep them on your radar. So, I appreciate you listening to this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast, even though we kind of had to go towards the matchmaking because we didn't have a fight night to break down, which is usually the the base of the show, but we still got an episode out, um, and I appreciate you um, listening.
So as always, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast, and I hope you are back next week. Goodbye.